This podcast is brought to you by Rode Microphones, providing premium audio products at an accessible price, enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit Rode.com. Hello and welcome to the Soundworks Collection interview series. My name is Michael Coleman and this week I spoke with composer Leslie Barber who created the incredible music for director Kenneth Lonegren's new film Manchester by the Sea starring Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams. After the death of his older brother Joe, Lee Chandler played by Casey Affleck is shocked that Joe has made him the sole guardian of his teenage nephew Patrick. Taking leave of his job as a janitor in Boston, Lee reluctantly returns to Manchester by the Sea, the fishing village where his working class family has lived for generations. There, he is forced to deal with a past that separated him from his wife, Randy, played by Michelle Williams, and the community where he was born and raised. Leslie previously worked with Lonigan on his acclaimed debut feature, You Can Count On Me, and she's provided music for such films as Mansfield Park, Hysterical Blindness, A Price Above Rubies, and When Night Is Falling. For Manchester, Leslie utilized harmonized vocal performances and atmospheric orchestral work to create a memorable score that makes an excellent companion to the classical pieces curated by the award-winning music supervisor, Linda Cohen. The Manchester by the Sea original soundtrack album will be available on November 18th from Milan Records, the same day Amazon Studios and Roadside Attractions are releasing the film theatrically. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Well, we always started this conversation off with your first interaction, but maybe you could just describe to me when you found out about this project, when you read the script, when you talked with Kenny, where did your instincts first head in, in terms of the tonality of you know what, what the music was going to represent emotionally and reflective of what you saw on paper? Uh, well, when Kenny sent me the script and, and I read it, I, uh, I, I did what, what, what I always try to do when there's... Um, when there's space and there's time for for writing uh, for this kind of writing and uh tried to just come at it from a really intuitive place um i started improvising and put together sort of a suite of ideas which i always like to do at the beginning of a project and one of the ideas was um the idea of the acapella vocals which you hear throughout the film and um because Kenny was shooting and or and, and you know maybe he was in the first stage of editing I can't remember but there was space there for me to demo up the ideas and um, see like take them the distance so they weren't just an idea or an intuitive idea I could realize them and um, see how they were working and then send them off to Kenny in a, in a really quite um, finished state stage rather than just a sketch on the piano or something like that how do you describe just starting off a, pro- a new project and not really knowing what direction it's going to take you. I mean, how much excitement do you have about beginning a project versus kind of like, all right, this is how much time I have. This is all the work I need to go through and all the, the other thoughts that come into your mind. <laughs> well, it really depends on how that first conversation goes when you find out you're on a project, because if the conversation starts off with, you know, everyone's thrilled to have you on this film, uh, there's, but there is a time issue, you have four weeks, that's a different kind of conversation 
and it puts a different feeling in your in your heart and your stomach than if you find out that you're you know someone sends you a script and and you know there's going to be a lot of collaborative dialogue going into it and that you're going to have time to get to the essence of, of what and distill what the film is about and what some of the bigger meaning is and, and what's there and what isn't there. Um, it's always nice to have some space to, to um, try out a few ideas and come out with the best one. What does it allow you, do you think, when you're, you're returning to a director that you've worked with in the past is there a boost of confidence? Is there something of you want to one-up yourself from what you did last time? Like, what is the difference of a new time director versus someone like Kenny where you worked with in the past? Well, it's it's just this idea of a shorthand that you get. And and, and these days with so many co-productions and um, financing that comes from all different sources, I think quite often directors aren't working with the, with the same uh, composers um, over and over again. And it's too bad because I think, you know, for the really confident filmmaker that that's part of their identity. That becomes their statement also includes um, the composer that they collaborate with. When you think of Spielberg and John Williams and that collaboration and what it allows the composer to do the second and third time and um, and this kind of identity and this this uh, unique uh, place in, in in cinema that 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 really essential relationship can bring to to someone's film. So in the case of Kenny, uh, I think it gave me uh, a lot more freedom because I'd worked with Kenny before, and you kind of figure out if they don't, you know, if someone doesn't email, even just like small things, mm-hmm. if they don't email email you back, or if you know what how what a conversation means or what to expect from conversations how much direction is given how little direction is given so um it it is extremely freeing uh to work with someone more than once i would say and and with kenny it it was fantastic because i just knew that i would have room to um uh come up with something that i felt strongly about before i needed to share you know uh, which, which is important as well. Nice. Sometimes, sometimes you're asked to share and it's only been four days or something, you know? So it's, it, it's great when, when, there, when there is a little time there. Yeah. What is it about your writing process that is somewhat the same? I think something that you mentioned was that you use a piano guitar with, with MIDI capabilities. What is it about having your music in the computer and the process that you kind of established for yourself works so well for you? Well, over the years, my process has really been changing over the last uh, 10 years. And I would say now that I really follow the idea uh, rather than lock myself into any preconceived notion of what the process should be. So uh, maybe my process used to be do a piano sketch, um, temp it up, um, send it to the director, uh, get response. And now uh, what, and and then maybe orchestrate and then figure out what orchestra I'm going to work with and, um, book sessions and then book the mix. And now if I have a little bit more time and I'm thinking like six weeks rather than three weeks, Mm -hmm. um, it's really great to follow your idea. And so uh, in my, uh, home, I've changed, I have a, like a large brownstone sort of building and I've just made my whole uh, uh, main floor of my house into 
a very agile recording and creative space with, you know, grand, it's really stripped down and very little furniture. It's like a studio in a lot of ways, a recording studio. And I can record um, string sessions. Um, I can record piano. I can record, uh, I can actually add to the score as I'm going and then add orchestra at the end if I need to. So this has been extremely freeing because I can stay inside the box uh, and build the score um, as I'm working. And it's much, it's really freeing to be able to add a, a string session um, halfway through and see where you're at and also build on the ideas that might come out of that session look at it not only as a sort of um with with a time a time pressured recording process but also look at it as a creative process maybe and and so i would say you know my in terms of this score for instance i was i demoed up um I was able to play my piano solos uh, right to picture and record them beautifully, I, I think, and then also um, and get that first performance. So the the piano piece that you hear is really me improvising, and, and then maybe the second take or something, a little bit of edited editing in there, but very little. And so you get that first initial response to the material. And, and with the vocal pieces, um, I was able to record those in my space actually I recorded those mm. um, I, I recorded those with my daughter as a demo <laughs> and she's an opera singer at, at um, she's a young opera singer and mm. she is she's just got a gorgeous voice and I thought I'm gonna demo this up and I phoned her and it was sort of the middle of the night and she was in her dorm room and <laughs> I basically set up the next day I had someone from Montreal uh, she was in Montreal studying at McGill University there and um, they came in and they brought her some really, we, we built a beautiful uh, little studio in her dorm room. Wow. And we uh, used, uh, you know, Matt, her Mac. And I had a Skype session with her and we demoed up the piece. And, and actually that's one of the main recordings we use in the film. You know, we went on and we did do more studio uh, recordings, but we there was something extremely special about that first recording. Well, when you think of um, even just establishing the theme of Lee, which is kind of a theme, but it's it's a hybrid in terms of how it re gets repurposed throughout the film. How did that evolve? Because it's uh, the placement of it is incredibly interesting when it's introduced the first time, and then there's there's a lot of really fantastic moments of. Where, where it was decided, how, how did the Lee's theme evolve and what was it like placing it and figuring out where it was going to be placed in? That piece was sort of put together the way I put together a lot of my ideas now in these sort of suites that before I really start digging into writing to picture. So I played the piano, you know, solo and mm -hmm. then I, I like to layer my music. If I'm writing it before I get final picture, I like to have something in that original idea that I call the shorts and then something that's like the longs, you know, so yeah. that you can kind of, it becomes very agile and flexible as, as language in, in the film. So the piano solo could be used on its own. And then also um, the strings could be, the, lo the longs could be taken mm -hmm. and used um, but still be resonant of the theme um, on their own. And then the shorts could be used with either, you know, 
the the, the basic um, the, the long strings or with the piano solo or any combination was possible and the, and so it, it became this very flexible theme that you could like a prism go through at any point and kind of build and and I like to work that way um, especially if it's before I, I have final picture it's a really fun way to work and there's also these just intense scenes of the house fire the police office the funeral where there's moments of montage music uh, uh, where music is leading so much of what's going on what, what, what the audience is hearing how did you and Ken can he decide was that in the script or was that something decided later on? Well, always when I work with Kenny, you know, he has a really deep knowledge of classical music and yeah. of, of, of um, blues, of, of, of all kinds. Of, he's got a real expansive knowledge of music. And he loves the style of, um, he likes the style of using real you know, key uh, borrowed pieces, and then a lot of my job is to blend and unify and come up with music that has the same sense of it's not narrative music, it's music that is deliberate and considered as a almost a piece on its own, like a like you're almost creating pieces that could be needle drops, just like the borrowed pieces, if you know what I'm saying. And so it's, it is an aesthetic that you kind of have to get into when, you know, with working with um, this kind of uh, style of Kenny's um, naturalistic style. And so he, he had very strong, he had very strong ideas about the pieces that, were borrowed, especially the handle um, and some of the other pieces. So there was dialogue back and forth and we got together in the editing room and we went through and we looked at key scenes like that scene and we tried different pieces of music. Um, but in the end, I, I um, you know, in the end, he, he really, he knows what he wants in those, in those areas and he, and he waits for the pieces to feel right. And when they do, um, they pretty much stay in the, in the, position where where they are they don't move around a lot i think when you start any project obviously you have this script as as your first kind of point of reference but where else do you look for inspiration when you're thinking of the score i mean this film takes place in a pretty cold windy environment what does it take to get there to, to find additional sources of inspiration beyond the script for you well the small town massachusetts setting of the piece um really did affect my choices of, I didn't even realize, I mean, it was very mm -hmm. intuitive, but I did, that was incredibly inspiring. And also that location was resonant of where Lee was, Lee is as a character when we meet him, he's, he's sort of frozen and yeah. he's, you know, had this unimaginable tragedy in his life. And he hasn't bounced back and he simply life keeps going on and he has to engage in life uh, even when he doesn't want to. He, he just can't simply disappear. And so this idea of um, of this of this cold frozen air where you kind of feel you can see his breaths in the first scene when you first meet him. And for instance, in the first piece that I use, that the a cappella piece that is related, uh, relatable to Lee, you can hear all the breaths in the recording. And 
I realized afterwards that felt right in that particular piece because you could that visually affected me. Um, it, it, it's a small thing, but just the idea of where he's at as a character and seeing him work in the ice, in the snow, shoveling, uh, and seeing his breaths, I, I found that very inspiring. Um, and then, but if you compare that recording to the acapella recording that opens the film and the opening shot, as you'll remember, is that huge shot of the waves. And so in terms of performance and in terms of recording, I wrote the acapella piece and, and you know, we, we uh, have um, beautiful strings underneath that, the orchestra. And I would say that that those that visual impact um the thrust of that the inspiration of that also gets into the recording practice where um for that piece i went into a large auditorium and and recorded the singer jacoba um six part uh a cappella in a very large space you know to really get that sense of um uh resonant uh infinite epic space and with the strings um it was very, we really took time to get the right uh, performance practice there and the right uh, recording, getting the microphones just placed uh, in a very particular distance so that you get the sense that there's a lot going on under the surface and it's not quite breaking through, that it's just, there's a lot, you know, a lot on, at stake and there's a, it, but it's just sort of vibrating. It's at the vibrating stage. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I hope that makes sense. But um, yeah. I, I, I would say that yeah, there was something about that, about about that place. The other thing about that place that really affected me was this idea of, um, and, and where I drew inspiration for the acapella themes was um, the idea that it was set in this um, place of the most early colonization. Uh, by uh, pilgrims, Puritans, and looking at some of the most basic melodies that came over, uh, that, that came over w with them, and thinking about that sense of new beginning, or trying to begin after probably uh, an incredible amount of, um, of tragedy and trauma as well, for a lot of, uh, of those early uh, um Puritans and pilgrims. So there was something in those early melodies that had this feeling of infinite uh, destiny, fate. Um, I don't know how to explain it, but it just felt right as a, as a place to start. Fantastic. Is there a change that happens for you of how you experience, how you listen to your own music from when you're working in the studio by yourself? When you first share it with the director, and then obviously when you share it, when when you share it with an audience, and and in context of a film, and it's potentially gone through changes with a you know a music editor, how do you not be so precious or are precious with your music of <laughs> of that process? Uh, I, I think when I started composing, I used to find it kind of traumatizing, and yeah, I, sure. there was a lot of times like I don't, I didn't see you can count on me uh, for a long time because I. I was so connected with the story 
story and inside the piece that I just didn't want to hear what had happened to the music in post. And I, again, uh, because it was a Sundance um, screening, uh, it, it was very rushed at the end uh, to get it out. And I wasn't sure where the music had landed. Then with this, but now I find it more, I just find it interesting. And I try to figure out why the music was changed or you know, how I felt like it should be here and it was there, but maybe it's better. Or why is it better? Or why did the director move it? And sometimes I think uh, as a composer, you can almost get too close in the narrative uh, tightness and intimacy with the scene or with the cut. And sometimes, you know, um, when they do move your music a little bit or change it a little bit, um, it creates another animation. I don't know how mm -hmm. to explain it. And so it's very, even a few frames, I can feel the dis the difference. Yeah. And sometimes it kind of brings in a little bit of careless play that maybe mm. is needed, you know? I've always wondered how that is for composers to not only try not to be precious, but it, I mean, I feel like there's a vulnerability that it, it creates with your kind of the relationship of what you're, I mean, your, your role in, in, the, in the film uh, and that's the thing about this film is like I, I can't imagine this film without your music. It's such an emotional backbone of of watching it. For you, do you really ever know when you go into a project of how much a director is gonna lean? I mean, obviously you've worked with him in the past, Kenny, in the past, but you're trying to react to the script. You're trying to react to what the director's telling you. Like, how do you ever really know how much music is gonna be placed and used? You, you really don't. I mean, in this case, Kenny, uh, when we first spoke. I felt like I might only have like a couple of cues in the film yeah. because uh, he had been editing to these classical pieces and they were working very well. But then as we, I started building that the acapella themes and started um, putting the other themes together, we were finding that they were working in a lovely place and they were they were really blending the other pieces and unifying and bringing another meaning and kind of finding an, another layer of what was going on. Um, somehow the music was bringing something really new to, mm -hmm. uh, to Lee's journey. And so we, we found we were, we were putting more music in than, than we initially thought. Yeah. Do you find that people, when they do interpret your music a certain way that, you're open to that experience or is is your goal really to have an, a, a specific intent when you are writing the music? I, I just like getting it right inside a film and inside characters. I like living in that place. It's like, I guess when I was a kid, you know, I would read a book and I would just stay inside that book for <laughs> the next 10 days. You know, if I read Harriet the Spy, I was Harriet the Spy for 10. And there's something about which when I first started writing for film, I thought, oh, this is this is what I should be doing because it's it's an intensely creative place and it's like working with great literature when it's when it's a great film and 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 feeling the resonance of great writing and great acting and beautiful cinematography it's it it, it just becomes very intuitive and so i i try to take all the judgment out of it or ambition out of it and just really do like do what the piece needs and sometimes it's a lot and sometimes it's a little bit and um and and, and you really want to bring something unique so in a lot of the scores um just from a technical point of view i really want to bring in a sound that we haven't heard for or that's unique to that place to just create the most special score in a way that you that you have room to create so for instance in mary heron's 
you know, the Mott Diaries, I had a lot of uh, players come in and record all the long notes that I would use. Like I decided on the keys early on that I would basically use and then come in and have them play any of the, the long notes, like let's say the pieces in, you know, uh, a modal key that uses a lot of F's, G's, A's, a lot of these sort of, then bring them in and play the, all those pieces, all those notes, and have a huge library of notes that are played in with harmonics and a, a different styles, different techniques, so that I could kind of creep the style in to psychological horror um, during the compo in a very controlled, uh, deliberate way during the composing process, um, rather than kind of do it on the floor and see what happens when you're doing the recording, and make that a real compositional element that brings something very specific to the score. So, you know, for each piece, there's there's a lot of care that that I try to put into that that the, the basic elements, the basic ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lastly, like, what what is it about? Because composing is such a singular experience initially, of when you are in the writing stages, and then obviously, you, as the further and you get to a project, there's more collaboration, you have more feedback, and you know, I guess you're not alone in the room anymore working <laughs> on these things. What what is it about your interests? What you enjoy about the process that continues for you today? Well, it's it's the collaboration. It's. Uh... It's the opportunity to write music that is that not that not only works in the film but also works as music on its own as well. I, I always try to do that. It's it's coming up with a cinematic sound that's specific to to a story that just somehow creates it, it it really keys into the essence of what's at stake for the characters, what they're longing for, what that piece is about and somehow attaching to that in a really intimate, uh, suitable way, I guess. Nice. Well, for anyone who, uh, well, I guess this film isn't out quite yet, but when, when it is coming out here very soon in the next uh, few weeks, I, I suggest people should definitely check it out. And the soundtrack is coming out on November 18th. I love watching films and then I love listening to the soundtracks after and having a completely different experience just from the music alone. Leslie, thank you so much. and. I really greatly appreciate your time. I think what you've done in this film is, I, I, it's its an incredibly heavy, emotional, but um, rewarding film. So thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Really great talking to you. Thanks for tuning in and listening to my chat with composer Leslie Barber. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Road Microphones, for sponsoring this podcast series providing premium audio products at an accessible price, enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit Rode.com.